0: Hello and welcome to the All Eighties Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host Bill Bant, and along with Neil. This journey revisiting 80s movies is my co-host Jason Masick. Hello,
1: Jason. Bill, I think you're all fucked in the head. We're 10 hours from the fucking fun park, and you want to bail out? Well, I'll tell you something. This is no longer a vacation. It's a quest. It's a quest for fun. I'm going to have fun, and you're going to have fun. We're all going to have so much fucking fun, we're going to need plastic surgery to move our goddamn smiles. You'll be whistling zippity doo out of your assholes. Ha 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 I gotta be crazy. I'm on a pilgrimage to see a moose. Praise Marty Moose! Holy
0: shit! That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing, with spoilers aplenty, the 1983 classic comedy, Dashiell Lampoon's Vacation. Starring Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Anthony Michael Hall, and Imogene Coca, directed by Harold Ramis, this movie is rated R with a running time of 1 hour and 38 minutes. This is our final episode of this year's Summer at the Cinema Series, where all the movies we discuss in the month of July take place during the summer. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's in the Box. Take it away, Jason. The Griswolds have planned all year for a great summer vacation.
1: From their Chicago home, across America, to the wonders of the Wally World Fun Park in California, every step of the way has been carefully plotted. Except a few hundred hysterical exceptions. National Lampoon's Vacation is a sublimely goofy comedy, thanks largely to Chevy Chase and his signature role of Clark Griswold. The inept but sincere Clark takes misfortune in stride. So what if they lose all their money when their new car gets wrecked? And it's not too bad when Cousin Eddie, Randy Quaid, deposits Sour Aunt Edna in their back seat for a lift to Phoenix. But what really keeps Clark's eyes on the road is a flirtation with a mysterious blonde, Christy Brinkley, in a red Ferrari. For those along on the ride, National Lampoon's Vacation, called fast funny satire by the New York Times' Janet Maslin, is a jolly jaunt. Every summer, Chevy Chase takes his family on a little trip. This year, he went too far. National Lampoon's Vacation. Vacation. All right. Hell yeah. Bill Banton is funny, man. On the original VHS release... There's a different blurb on the back of that box. I'm not kidding you. It's literally a book. So I decided not to bore you nor our listeners with it. I went with a subsequent release of the VHS and that blurb, just to be transparent and completely honest with our audience. We certainly appreciate that. Oh my goodness, you should check it out. It's hilarious. I was like, no way in hell I'm transcribing that and boring everybody.
0: Yeah, I think our show's long enough, so (laughs) (laughs) if we can cut cut a minute or two there, then uh, I'm sure everybody will appreciate that. No doubt about it. How are you tonight, Bill Bantz? I am doing well, and yourself? I'm just thrilled
1: to be covering one of the classic, classic comedies from the 1980s, from the early 1980s, 1983 to be exact. Yes,
0: it's certainly a classic. I mean, I am kind of we're wrapping up our Summer of the Cinema series. Um, I'm already looking forward to next year, but let's get into vacation. And uh, let's start off with our earliest memories. Jason, what are some of your earliest memories of National Lampoon's vacation?
1: Well, Bill Bant, I did not see this in the theater. I have seen it many, many times on cable. And obviously my first earliest memory is directly related to the one and only Chevy Chase, or as some may call him, Chevy Chase. I've always loved early Chevy Chase, especially. His impeccable comedic timing, his dry, sarcastic delivery, and his great physical comedy. And just all-around pure goofiness, man. I've always been a fan. Another early image, early memory from this movie is that family station wagon, a.k.a. the truckster. Uh, the family themselves, man, the wonderful and sexy Beverly D'Angelo is Clark Griswold's wife, Ellen Griswold. And then the kids, of course, Rusty and Audrey. And we get a very young Anthony Michael Hall portraying Rusty in this movie. Uh, so I remember them, of course. And speaking of Beverly D'Angelo, one of my earliest memories, <laughs> I have to say, were Beverly's Boobs. That's right, we get some 80s boobs in this film, which was uh, important for me in my formative years. I have so many specific memories of so many memorable scenes from this movie, from Clark asking for directions in the ghetto to the deceased Aunt Edna on top of the car to the car sailing over the desert embankment in Arizona to Clark and Russ sharing a beer. And finally, last but not least, the theme park, Wally World. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention... Another great memory of mine, which is Christy Brinkley. And according to my memory, Bill Batch, she was probably like the first supermodel I was aware of as a young tyke. And I knew her from also, uh, Billy Joel's music video of Uptown Girl. And funny enough, I remember the fact that they had gotten married and I thought it was such a mismatch when I was so young. I was being so superficial and judgmental about that. I was, I awesome. was right there with you. Yeah. I was like, how does this work? And then I realized, well, because he's just an incredibly talented dude. Now, I have nothing but respect for Billy Joel. Hey, the song, the theme song from National Lampoon's Vacation has to be Holiday Road by Lindsay Buckingham. I, that song, man, is so catchy. I was singing it in my car yesterday. I was singing it in my car today thinking about doing this podcast tonight. And finally, I have nothing but fond, loving memories, man, of this film. If I catch it on TV, I have to watch at least some of it, if not all of it. It's always a go-to for the laughs because of the smart writing. But most of all, for me, the memories are or is the relatability to the characters and the situations, although exaggerated. Love it. What about uh, your earliest memories of this movie?
0: Okay, earliest memories for me was I don't remember how or when... I saw this movie for the first time, but like you, I certainly remember holiday road by Lindsay Buckingham. That song crossed my mind. Every time I took a trip with my parents to now, uh, when I take a trip with my family, as soon as I'm in the car, it's it's in my head. I certainly remember the family truckster growing up. We had a version of it ourselves. It was a Chevy Malibu station wagon. It was red with the wood paddling. Uh, My dad referred to it as the swamp creature. Of course, yeah. that's perfect. He he bought Girl it thing. secondhand. My dad was known for buying secondhand cars. And that car spent more time with the mechanic, I think, than it did in front of our house. And my dad right. always vowed that when he was able to get rid of that thing, he would literally drive it off a cliff, kind of like in vacation. And then my mom would chime in. Yeah, you could be in it. You know? She's uh, like, why would you buy that I thing? I know. I, I know. <laughs> so, of course, I do remember the jump from the movie with the truckster in the desert.
1: Yeah, yeah. That always sticks out. Great image.
0: Oh, I remember being excited during the opening credits when they had all the postcards of all the places. Because there's one of them of Lucy the Elephant from Margate, New Jersey. And I have actually visited Lucy the Elephant. Margate's like just a couple miles uh, south of uh, Atlantic City. Good to know. Good to know. I remember being jealous of Rusty's mini Pac-Man arcade machine. Pac-Man was such a big thing there. And then I remember one of my friends finally getting it and playing it. And I wasn't all that impressed because it really was nothing like the arcade version. Gotcha. And then I remember being jealous of the Griswolds at the end of the movie when they get to ride those cool roller coasters at Wally World. Hell yeah. Not knowing I would get to ride those cool roller coasters about 25 years later when I finally came out to California. So that's some of my earliest memories of vacation. Very good. Very good. I can identify with some of those for
1: sure. Very good. Are we moving on to our initial thoughts? Yeah, let's talk about some initial
0: thoughts we had about vacation. What do you have, Jason? Absolutely,
1: because we are now adults watching this movie. So my initial thoughts watching it in the here and now today. Well, first of all, here we go, Bill Bandt, another Chicago movie. Love me some John Hughes. Oh, yeah. No, it's not really a Chicago movie. It's just where they start. Because we have the Griswolds, that's where they live, and they're about to take a vacation and drive cross-country to California to the theme park Wally World, eventually. Yeah, so this is written by John Hughes, and uh, of course, I'm a a big fan of all of his films, as I know you are too, Bill Bant. and uh, we've done Breakfast Club so far on this podcast. Have we done any other John Hughes films yet? Pretty in pick. Yes, thank you very much. That's correct. And this is another all-timer. You talk about the best 80s comedies, and this will always be in the conversation. This is directed by Harold Ramis, who we know is one of the best in the genre of American film comedies, and whether it be as a writer, actor, or director in films such as Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Back to School, and then eventually Groundhog Day and Analyze This, just to name a few. Now, moving on to our protagonist in this film, we have Clark W. Griswold, whom, man, when I think about him and I'm watching this movie still today, I mean, an initial thought is just how he reminds me of my own dad. My dad happens to also be six foot four, handsome, actually had a very similar build to Chevy Chase back then at that age. Uh, and more importantly, he had the same disposition of that general, like, take it as it comes, easygoing, positive, and very goofy attitude. And we did vacation often, at least a couple times a year, and he and we always made the best of it, no matter what. And although we had hiccups along the way, I'm sure, I honestly don't remember having a bad vacation as a kid. And I give so much credit to my dad and his choice of attitude, and I have to give credit to my mom who was also the ultimate practical organizer and manager. She made sure we all got where we needed to be in all in one piece, not unlike Ellen Griswold in this film. So that's just an initial thought, just how this family vacation that they take and the dynamic between the members of this family all was so relatable, uh, in particular to my father and my parents together and how they made a great team as parents when it came to vacationing. Also, regarding initial thoughts, I'd like to talk about our movie stars for a minute here in a segment I like to call, Where Are They At? And where is Chevy Chase at in 1983? Well, as we all know, he was a cast member of Saturday Night Live from 1975 to 1976. He was only a cast member for one full season and then only a few episodes into the second season before he left. I have very fond memories, however, of watching Saturday Night Live reruns. I loved his impersonation of President Gerald Ford. He was the very first host of Weekend Update, and he's hilarious. So watch the reruns. Watch it on YouTube. He's brilliant. A lot of great physical comedy. But when he did leave in the middle of the second season to pursue his career in Hollywood, he was replaced by none other than Bill Murray. And then also in the 80s, we know Chevy Chase, of course, as Ty Webb from Caddyshack. Bruce Thorpe from 1981's Under the Rainbow. Do you remember that one, Bill Band? Under the Rainbow? Oh, yeah. I
0: used to watch that a ton on HBO because, you know, Carrie Fisher.
1: Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, she's in it. So I remember I'd watch that many times, especially when that had come out on cable. And uh we know that after National Lampoon's Vacation, we go, he goes on to do Fletch and the other vacation films, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, I forgot, Bill Bant, that he had hosted the Academy Awards twice in 87 and 88.
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I learned something new in my own podcast.
1: But uh, eh, he's known most recently for starring in the comedy sitcom community. Now, you may or may not be aware of Chevy Chase's problematic reputation, mostly regarding his ego and being extremely difficult to work with over the years but that is well-documented. So if you feel the need to do the deep dive on that, go for it. But we don't feel the need to go into it here. So moving on, as I mentioned earlier, we get a young Anthony Michael Hall with braces. You know, he had a pretty decent 1980s. If We know him from 16 Candles in 84, The Breakfast Club, which we covered here. Uh, From 1985, he does Weird Science in 1985. Here's something I forget. Another Saturday Night Live connection. Bill Bant, do you remember him on Saturday Night Live from 85 to 86? Oh,
0: yeah. Considered the worst season of all time. Him, like Robert Downey Jr. They were like kids. Kids. Yeah,
1: totally. Uh, In 86, he does Out of Bounds, and then Johnny Be Good in 88. Here's a question for you, Bill Bant. Did you ever watch the Dead Zone television series from 2002 to 2007, which Anthony
0: Michael Hall started? Love that show. Yeah. And it ended on a cliffhanger. That pissed me off.
1: See, I never watched it, but I know it was critically It's really inflamed. good. That's what everyone says. There were yeah. a lot of fans of that show. Anthony, Michael. Oh, this
0: Mike. is funny. Um, a lot of times I'd watch those episodes and I would think of you. Oh, Jason could have played this role. <laughs> I'm being honest. I'm, I'm being totally it. honest. Yeah,
1: no. Yeah, and that's great. Uh, I appreciate that, man. That's a compliment. So, yeah, that's where a couple of our big stars from this movie were at in 83 and beyond. Another initial thought, Bill Bent. This film has a great poster. I love the poster for this movie. Oh, it's yeah. reminiscent of Star Wars, of course. It's that you know, you get Chevy Chase all like ripped, uh, doing that hero pose. He's got like the te- tennis racket he's holding over his head, and he's got the attractive ladies hanging off his legs. You got uh, Christy Brinkley on one side and Beverly D'Angelo on the other. It's just a great, great animated uh, graphic poster. That's one I-, I wish I had hanging on my wall. It's fun to uh, to look at. In the beginning of this movie, here's another moment where it's very, I just get really, or I, let's just say I'm reminded of my own dad. When I'm watching Clark map out the trip for the kids, he does this thing where he uses his like home computer, which is wired to the television set. And he's using this computer to type out and map out this graph of the United States and he's going to show the kids, trying to get them excited. He's like, we're going to do the triptych, I think is what he calls it. And right. he's trying to map out. He's like, "Let's. we're going to map it out. I'm going to show you how we're going to go across country to get to Wally World. And, of course, the kids don't give a damn. They're in the middle of playing Pac-Man and whatever on their gaming console, which are trying to still figure out what the hell their console is. Yeah, I don't is. know what
0: the console is. But the graphics on the screen look like from an, a television game. I can't remember what the I game
1: is. You're right. I think, yeah, yeah. But I don't know what Even the console though,
0: is. Yeah, it looks like... I should like have looked a, that
1: up. Yeah, yeah. Either way, if you know what the gaming console was that uh, Russ and Audrey are using and playing with in the beginning of vacation, please let us know. It just reminds me of my dad, because my dad is a huge planner, but he would just never touch the computer, though. It's all fold-out maps. He still uses <laughs> maps. I'm not joking, Bill Banff. I can't... Maybe the last trip we just went on, he stuffs the maps into the side pocket of the door in the car. He literally highlights... The roots on the map that's awesome. and circle and he'll lay it out on the table and shows like so jake what do you think i'm thinking we go this way and then we'll cut over here i'm not kidding the last time i was just in colorado he did that very thing in the hotel room he laid it out and i was like hey we got, we got something called gps man yeah gps <laughs> but he doesn't care it's awesome he's old school man yeah
0: if that's his thing man
1: He flew airplanes. He was a navigator. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes he's, I swear to God, he's better than GPS. And when the phone goes down and the technology goes out, powers out, who are you going to call? Who are you going to count on? That's right. My dad. Old school. So just as the Griswolds are all packed up and ready to head out, it's funny. They're walking to their car. They got all their luggage uh, strapped to the top of their truckster. And the neighbors are gathering around the garage area, wishing them farewell. And it, a couple of the dads, the neighborhood dads come up talking to Clark. And it's just hilarious. It's just an initial thought I had is that one of them says, drive careful now, Clark. And then another one says, yeah, watch out for the Indians, Clark. Watch those freeways. And I'm like, wait, what? What was what was in the middle there? What did that one guy say? <laughs> watch out for the Indians, Clark. I just caught that on this rewatch hilarious bill hilarious i don't know if that character was making a joke when he was I'm saying that because they're driving out west like into the frontier or something like that as if obviously it's not pc at all but it was just something i caught i had not heard before here's some random funny. initial th- yeah
0: go ahead no i thought it was funny because it did remind me of growing up in our neighborhood and when someone would go on a trip everyone would come out and say bye right and i was like oh yeah we used to do that holy crap i totally <laughs> forgot about that
1: very like small town, well, in this case it's midwest it's Chicago suburb type of area, but like yeah, small town, everyone knows everyone. the neighbors come out, everybody knows everybody by name, all the kids know each other, et cetera. So you're absolutely right that's how it was. Here's some random initial thoughts when uh, they're beginning their journey across country, they're going across the Midwest, which is not necessarily a, a fun drive at first. As much as I love Illinois, because I am from the Chicago suburbs, it's flatlands. It's a lot of cornfields. So we see the cornfields in Bill Bann, all I could think of was children of the corn and oh wondering boy. if they were going to run into Peter Horton and Linda Hamilton or, God forbid, some your young poor sap running out into the middle of the road. Oh, uh, yeah. bloody. But um, regardless, <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. Now this is making me think of children of the corn. I hope they don't get lost and make poor decisions and walk into town and become outlanders. Anyway... Throughout this film, a lot of hijinks ensue, of course. Here's another thing that I caught this time, Bill Bant, is when Clark Griswold falls asleep at the wheel. It's just, it's really funny because the car just randomly goes through, like across the freeway or in the highway and through neighborhoods and crossing streets and barely missing traffic and almost getting into several accidents, barely missing everything by some miracle and at one point, he there's a guy walking his dog on his leash, and the truckster comes flying by, narrowly missing this guy walking his dog. But the guy literally yanks the dog up by its leash and catches it in his arms. And I'd never seen that before, and I had to rewind it a couple times. But he literally yanks the dog from its leash up off the ground and into his arms. It's I meant to go weird- back
0: and watch that myself to see yeah. if that was actually a real dog or – right it, it just looked like maybe it's like i don't know like a stunt dog maybe because i can't yeah, remember the dog takes a step forward and he, and he yanks it or mm-hmm. he just yanks it so it's like oh maybe it's not a real dog i forgot to go back and look i don't know
1: it was crazy but another just another but i thought, thought the, the same thing it. i was like yeah what? i'm just like kind of intense there dude and i hope that dog's okay Anywho, to round this out, it's really about the relatability. So connecting to one of my earliest memories, now it comes full circle here. The kids fighting in the back seat, it just reminded me of my sister and I, when we would go on road trips, of course, with the family, and you draw the line in the middle of the seat, and I was telling, you know, you tell each other or I told my sister, do not cross this line. This is my space over here. You stay over there and of course you'd always test the waters a bit and you'd start poking each other and then the kids or the parents have to you know lean over to the front seat and be like don't, don't make, make me come me back pull there over. or yeah that's that yeah, that's it don't make me pull over for sure but there's so many little moments throughout this movie it's so loaded with instant hilarity just in moments not even scenes but just small small moments and I'm going to save most of this, the, the big ones at least, for our segment later on. Things like Clark getting wrapped up in the gas pump hose, trying to find the gas tank and ripping off the license plate of the car and whipping it across the gas station. Uh, Clark seeing Christy Brinkley in the Ferrari and fantasizing about himself next to her in the Ferrari, smoking a cigarette. The airbag that pops out like twice in this movie and it looks just like a thin garbage bag. But just the it's just moments just keep coming one after the other and they're just amazing. And so my take now is this is just a ridiculous, crazy, silly movie about a family driving cross-country on vacation that still holds up all around. I laughed out loud several sight gags, as I just mentioned, and sometimes slapstick moments. It's not to be taken seriously. It's Here's one thing I realized. Here's a, a major initial thought is that I'd forgotten how satirical in nature it is. It uh, really stood out to me this time. It's over the top. You just have to go along the ride or along for the ride with the Griswolds and enjoy the hijinks. Smart writing by John Hughes, great improvisation by the actors, especially Chase. Most of all, again, for me, it's the relatability to the characters and situations. My overall takeaway now as an adult is M Dull's that you always have a choice in your attitude towards something. There you go. So what about your initial thoughts, Bill Ban.
0: Good stuff there, Jason. Um yeah. So my initial thoughts The first thing that kind of surprised me, I know this movie is rated R, and I thought more was because of the maybe nudity and sexual undertones that were throughout. But there's a lot of F-bombs in this movie. (laughs) and I know the opening quote that you did dropped a couple. Yep. I didn't remember that many F-bombs being in the film. Not not that I have an issue against the F-bomb. But I think I was just surprised by that. There's just kind of, and I don't know how many times I've seen the movie, but I was like, wow, yeah, they say that word a lot. That's crazy. Cause it really could be a PG movie. Yeah. Because, okay, yeah, we have the nudity, but half the 80s PG movies had brief nudity, less nudity than what we see in this movie and would still be rated right. PG. But I think once they said that F bomb, that bumps you up to R. But Correct. the fact they say it multiple times, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. My other initial thought was, um, I was kind of bummed that, uh, Dana Baron, who plays Audrey, didn't get to continue the series Mm -hmm. yeah she was in christmas vacation 2 cousin eddie's island adventure and everything i read up about that movie or you just avoid it at all costs she wasn't really given enough to do but i really liked her and i thought she really laid some groundwork that would have worked great if she had continued in the movies but yeah. yeah, I was kind of bummed. I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, I really do like this Audrey. I wish she had stayed in the further adventures." That kind of disappointed me. Agreed, agreed.
1: She's she's very whiny throughout the film, but she's very good. Like the actress is good, and she plays the role
0: well, and she has some great lines. Yeah, yeah, she delivers. Yeah, I thought so too. The last thing, man, Jason, I realize I'm, I'm becoming Clark Griswold <laughs> oh, yeah. when it comes to, when it comes to our family vacations. Uh, here ya. I hear yeah. you. I got gotcha. you. I mean, we're supposed to be going on vacation in a couple of weeks and I'm trying to map out our whole itinerary for the trip and I'm trying to get my kids all pumped up like, hey, this is where we're going to stay and this is how far we are from the beach. I'm going to go check this place out. We're going to go to this museum and you plan all this. You want it to be perfect because it's, you know, you work all year and it's the one time you really get to spend time with your family and yeah, we know it's not going to work out the way you know, imagining it in my mind, but you, I just kind of hope that it's worth the trouble. And you know, right. a couple years sure. from now, my kids will come back to me and go, dad, remember that time we went on that trip and we did blah, 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 blah. And that'll make me feel good. That'll make me feel like it's worth it. But yeah, I'm definitely starting to see some Clark Griswold on myself. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a natural thing, man. I love it. I love it
1: because, uh, you just said it's a matter of perspective, my friend. It's such a because now we have an appreciation, right? For our parents, what they had to do. And like I said earlier, that's the same thing. It's like, I appreciate what my parents did for us now more than I did then. Then it was just like, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to take care of us and make sure and, and, and treat us to a good time on vacation, right? We don't understand the work that goes into it. And then when my dad is like, Hey, kids, gather around. Let's watch the sunset. My dad was every night, especially when we went to Florida, was like, watch the sunset over the ocean horizon. And we would make fun of him as kids. It was all in good fun. Like, we all laughed together. But like Clark Griswold, like you were saying, you work year round. You t- you got to take this opportunity to watch the sunset.
0: Yeah, <laughs> gotta get the moments. It, like you, yeah.
1: Right. But as kids, we're like, you know, when do we get to play with the toys and go to the beach or swim the pool, whatever it is. Anyway, I love the fact that you have an appreciation for it now, but I, you're probably feeling your age. Yeah, a little bit.
0: It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Absolutely. We take it with a west stride. So uh, yeah, let's move on to uh, some of our favorite scenes, favorite scenes and moments from vacation. And Let's try to keep this ten or less. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so many great scenes, and as I said, so many great moments. I'm going to start from the beginning, Bill Bant. It's the truckster scene. It's Yay. the introduction of the truckster. So after the opening credits and the postcards with the great imagery of different locations around the US of A, we start this film at a car dealership and we are introduced to Clark Griswold and his son, Rusty, and they're turning in their old station wagon. They pull up, they get out, somebody else grabs the car, takes it away. Because they're there to get their new car. And who comes out but uh, the car dealer himself, played by Eugene Levy? We get a Eugene Levy appearance. Oh, man. So great to see him. I'd forgotten that he was in this place in the very first scene. And you just can't go wrong with Eugene Levy. This is prime
0: casting. Oh, my God.
1: He's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So. He's playing the uh, car dealer. I I I meant to write down the actual car dealership name, but it's a really funny name. It's Lou something I want to say. Anyway, Clark is looking for he's looking forward to seeing the new car. And Eugene Levy says, "Oh yeah, we'll just come right over here." And they walk up to this like this enormous like behemoth of a station wagon. And Eugene Levy says, "Here it is." And Clark's like, "Uh, where?" And he's like, "It's right here." And Clark's like, uh no, this is not the car I ordered. I distinctly ordered the Antarctic Blue Super Sports Wagon with a CB and optional Rally Fun Pack. And Eugene Levy says, wait, you didn't order the metallic P? Because the station wagon, the new one, is this metallic P color. And it cracks me up, Bill Bann, because immediately, you know, you think of all the different colors that... Uh, cars come in now, and they have these fancy names, and they're just outlandish and ridiculous, but they make it sound cool when you're no. buying a new car. So Clark is like, Metallic P? No, Antarctic Blue. So Eugene Levy explains, well, this is the Wagon Queen family truckster. And like trying to really sell Clark on this different vehicle, because obviously the Antarctic Blue Super Sports Wagon is not there. It has not arrived. And... Clark's like, well, no, I I want the car I ordered. And Eugene Levy goes, you know what? I got it. I think I figured it out. It didn't come in. (laughs) It's like, yeah, obviously. So Clark goes, where's my old car? I want my old car back. And meanwhile, we are intercutting here and we get to see that the old car is getting absolutely crushed, like at a junkyard when they have one of those giant machines that smash the cars and the windows are being crushed and the old car is being flattened. And so they bring the car back, but of course it's totally flat and smushed and Clark and Russ go to get in it as if nothing has changed. It's brilliant. They just, this is where this movie goes a little bit too far in the satirical nature and the over the top nature of it, which I absolutely love because it's obvious that the car is completely wrecked, but Clark just walks right up to it to open the door as if nothing's different about the car. And then he looks up and he was like, wait, what the hell? And then it just cuts to uh, Clark and Russ in the brand new wagon queen family truckster pulling up to their home outside of Chicago. So we know they ended up with the car they didn't want. But uh, so, yeah, that that opening scene, Eugene Levy, the metallic P, the sight gag with the crushed old station wagon that they had come in originally it's all it's all great stuff man.
0: yeah i had this scene down too um it's hysterical because of eugene levy and it even starts off great where you see clark and rusty pulling up in the station wagon and they show eugene levy he's in the office and he's talking to someone and he catches the car in the corner of his eye and he just gives this oh shit look because he knows right away that they're coming to pick up this car and he knows he doesn't have it so now he's got to figure out all right well how do we get rid of these trucksters and now he's just gonna try to pull the con on them and then there's another moment that, that kind of maybe me cracked me up when clark's like where the hell's my car? And he's like davenport i'll get to the bottom of this and then this guy in you know, a mechanic or something is standing like literally right next to eugene Levy. he turns to him he's like griswold ordered a blue sports wagon where is it and the guy just answers i don't know sir and just walks away and then you just see levy just kind of pause it just kind of holds on for a second like he's trying to process like oh shit what am i supposed to do next and then he goes oh i know it's not here yet right yes but (laughs) Uh, he is just great i mean he's only in it for like two minutes but he is hysterical typical eugene levy just the best that almost had to be written for him it's just so perfect of a character It is tailor-made
1: for him, but you nailed it. It's about his straight-faced delivery, having to say such ridiculous lines in such awkward, embarrassing moments with such a straight face as if it was, no nothing to see here kind of thing. But that line, yeah, you're right. When he's like, oh, yeah, no, I figured it out. It didn't come in. When
0: it's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah, no shit, it didn't come in. The good call on that one. I Yeah, I had that one too.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right, so I'm going to I'm jumping way ahead, probably till the middle of the movie. Okay. Sorry. So if you got to go back, please do so. Absolutely, no problem. We can jump around. Just because I remember this scene cracking me up as a kid. So the Griswolds are on the road. They've already had some of the adventures. They go to visit Ellen's cousin and nice. they find out at this point they have to take Aunt Edna on the trip with them to Phoenix. And Aunt Edna's not the most well-liked person at all. So they're stuck (laughs) with Aunt Edna on on this trip now. So it's just, it's now made a bad trip worse because Edna complains about everything. She doesn't like the accommodations. She doesn't like we're going to eat. So it's just... You can't please Aunt Edna. No, not at all. So we're at a scene, we're at a uh, truck stop. And the Grizzles are having a little picnic. And... Awesome. During the course of the movie also, and you mentioned this earlier, we are introduced to Christy Brinkley, who is oh, referred to oh, yeah. as Girl in the Ferrari. That's her credit, Girl in the Ferrari. And over the course of the trip, Clark and the Girl in the Ferrari seem to be passing each other. And Clark is, of course, flirting. I mean, it's Christy Brinkley. What, what the hell are you supposed to do? Yeah. And Christy Brinkley is also at this truck stop where Clark is at. And... Ellen, Clark's wife, is handing out sandwiches, and she gives Clark this bologna and cheese sandwich, and Clark's kind of walking away from where, where they're sitting the picnic, and he spots Christy Brinkley over by a car, drinking a beer. Hello. And she's dancing <laughs> for some reason, and she notices I love Clark— this. Yep she's got she's got the
1: ferrari she's standing next to her ferrari like doing model poses and drinking a beer as if she's starring like they're shooting a commercial or something Oh, and there's a big semi truck there's like two truckers hanging out one of them's in the ferrari and there's another dude just kind of hanging out watching her and she's just putting on a show for everybody it's great the music's blaring from the stereo it's great stuff so the girl
0: in the ferrari does recognize clark and you know, she's doing her dance moves or whatever. So Clark's like, Alright, I'm gonna be flirty too. And he's dancing back and he's playing with the sandwich and he's doing all these weird moves. And she goes to wave him over. Meanwhile, the rest of the family's sitting at the picnic table and Rusty has the sandwich and he's like, Mom, my sandwich is all wet. What's going on? <laughs> well, it comes to find out, not only did Aunt Edna come, Aunt Edna's dog Dinky is along for the ride. And Dinky peed all over the picnic basket, hence peeing mm. all over the sandwiches. And Clark takes a bite of the sandwich, and you hear Ellen scream, Oh my God, the dog peed all over the sandwiches. And he does the classic Chevy Chase spit take and just throws the sandwich down. Everyone else throws their sandwich down, except for Aunt Edna. And Edna's like, Yeah, whatever. And just keeps eating her sandwich gross yeah it was gross but the pee on the sandwiches line always just seemed to crack me up as a kid yeah but yeah it's just the whole christy brinkley like what are you doing kind of thing was just weird and clark's dance even though he's trying to be flirty is so bad it's amazing there's just so much going on i'm glad you called this out i also had this written down oh did you really okay i
1: certainly did because it's Like you just said, it's all about Chevy Chase's awkward dance. And as beautiful as Christy Brinkley is as the girl in the Ferrari, that's almost a little awkward watching it now where you're just like, what is she even doing there? But that's part of the gag. It doesn't make any sense that she would just be at a random truck stop, like a supermodel hanging out next to a Ferrari, having a beer with some random truckers, and then flirting with Clark from a distance Right in front of his family, who is totally oblivious to all this going on. But it's just a funny setup. And the dance that he does is priceless. Because it he's just making some awkward moves with the sandwich in his hands the whole time. Yes. <laughs> and he uses it, like you said, as a prop. He's flapping the sandwich around. And at one point, actually smacks himself in the face with it. As if that's like a flirty move that he does. And then he kisses the sandwich, too. And
0: blows the kiss, yes. <laughs> it's just all,
1: all amazing before he learns that Dinky the dog is pissed all over it. Just great. Cracks me up, man. When he smacks himself, like, in the lips with the sandwich and then kisses it. Like, that's a hot move. Brilliant. Great call, Bill. Great call. Love that scene. I am going to take it back just a step or two. Okay. Well, they're, they're arriving in Kansas, and they're on their way to see Cousin Eddie. And that's, like you had said, where they pick up Aunt Edna. But before that, they arrive in Dodge City, the famed Dodge City where Wyatt Earp once uh, operated. And they pull into the touristy and dusty, dirty old-time square where they have kind of it's like the Old West scene. And they pull up. And there's some great lines because... This is something that clearly Clark wants to do. The rest of the family, not so interested. Ellen's like, yeah, this is is not so great. (laughs) Clark says something like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. You know, it's not, everything's not clean like back home. And you hear Russ say, oh, yeah, dad, this is great. I'm glad we didn't go to Hawaii. (laughs) Clark goes, oh, yeah, I'll bet you are. And he's serious. Now, Russ is being completely sarcastic. Anyway, like I said, Western-themed town, you have these people walking around role-playing as cowboys, et cetera, and they enter this old-timey, like, saloon, and we meet Marshall Wyatt Earp, who is obviously playing that character, and he's somewhat half-enthusiastic, and he warns them uh, when they're about to step up to the bar. He's like, he tells them that the bartender is an ornery cuss. I love it. So he's using the old West lingo, and the family steps up to the bar. There's a bartender working on something behind the bar down the way. And Rusty says, you know, that guy was a crummy white Earp. He was wearing jockeying shoes. And Clark says, ah, they used to do that, Rusty. Like, and he says <laughs> this, this is what's great about Clark's characters. He makes up this bullshit throughout the movie to explain things away. And he has no idea of what he's talking about. Oh yeah. So knowing that the bartender is an ornery cuss, Clark decides to prod the bartender and says yelling from down the bar he says hey knucklehead set us up with some four red eyes will ya? hey tenderfoot move your chicken wings turkey and ellen's like clark that's not nice it's like oh no it's all part of the act hon." Huh? hey underpants and he calls the bartender underpants all of a sudden the bartender reaches up from behind the bar pulls up a shotgun and blows clark away So you see Clark going flying backward. You're like, holy crap. But of course, Clark hops up right away and says, it's all an act. I'm okay. I'm okay. The family's freaked out because this huge shotgun blast has just gone on right in front of them. Ellen doesn't think it's very funny. And Clark's like, well, wait, hey, it's all part of the act. Didn't it look real when I fell down? And Audrey's like, what? And he says, didn't that look real, sweetie? And she says, what? (laughs) Ellen goes, are you happy now, Clark? She's deaf. Because the yeah. shotgun blast and Clark immediately just think goes to his next line. Ah, what's the difference? It was fun anyway. Let's have a drink. What do you say? I love the scene. It makes me laugh out loud every time because of Clark's stupid lines that he says going from, Hey, knucklehead set us up with four red eyes. Will you trying to play the role getting into the old West thing? But he's saying like the wrong things. Hey, yellow belly. I'm talking to you. And it's just such a goofy dad thing to do. And it's exactly what my dad would do. And it's funny, but it's cringeworthy at the same time. It's brilliant. And then the pratfall, that physical comedy that Chevy Chase does, because when the shotgun goes off and he just goes flying backward, it oh, does God. look real. It He does. pulls it off. Like, <laughs> it's just great. And they're freaked out. And then the fact that Audrey can't hear because of the shotgun blast. Are you happy now, Clark? She's deaf. I freaking love that line. That's a it's a short scene, but it's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, it is funny because looking back on it now that I'm that age, you're going somewhere, you know, no one else wants to be there, so you're trying your darnest to mm-hmm. make sure everybody's having fun. You're you're trying to force the fun, and it literally backfires. It is a funny moment. And uh, stepping on the facts, I had no idea about this. So Wyatt Earp is played by Richard Dreyfuss's brother. Yeah. I had no idea. Because even I'm looking at him, like it doesn't look like him. I I no. never would have known that. I never would have known that if I hadn't uh, heard it on the uh, commentary track that it was his brother. I caught
1: it just in the credits.
0: When oh, did you? I didn't. IMDb. Yeah. I was I like, Dreifus, is he a
1: relation? Sure enough. How about another favorite scene or moment from you, Bill? Band. Okay,
0: I'm going to go to my next favorite scene. I'm I'm sure you have this one down. The poor demise of Dinky the dog. Oh I, I didn't I didn't choose. Oh, you it. Didn't.
1: I was hoping you would though. Okay. I'm glad
0: you did. Yeah. It's
1: there's so many, Bill, there's so many to choose from. Yeah. I've I just had to, you know, narrow it down. So I had to cut. I that was one. kinda
0: on the fence on this one because, you know, if we have any animal lovers listening in, oh, it's they tough. probably would not <laughs> find it as funny as if as maybe it was when we were kids. Yeah. But uh one of the stops they have is at this place called Camp Comfort and they're basically sleeping in tents for the night. And, of course, Edna is not happy that they're staying in tents, and they have Dicky the dog. And the thing with Dicky the dog is Dickie the dog does not like anybody except for Aunt Edna. So if you're trying to walk Dickie the dog, Dickie the dog is basically grabbed onto your pant leg and is chewing on your pant leg the whole time. Yeah. They spend their night at camp comfort, and they're packing the car, and Rusty has... Somewhat successfully finished walking Dinky and passed him off to Clark along with the luggage so he could finish packing the the van and they can go off on their uh, next part of the journey. Well, of course, the dog starts biting on Clark's leg. So Clark can't pack the car and hold on to the dog at the same time. So he takes the leash and just ties it around the bumper just so he could finish packing. Yeah,
1: he hooks it onto the rear bumper as Dinky the dog's. Flipping out. So you see
0: him kind of, you know, putting everything into the car. And then, uh, Edna's coming up and she's complaining. Everybody gets in the car. And we cut to the next scene where they're on the road and Clark's driving. And he's like, Ellen, do you hear something? There's just something, something strange. And Ellen's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. In the back, you get, you kind of see through the car. And now you see there's a motorcycle cop and a motorcycle cop's pretty much, uh, pursuing them. And Clark's, it's like what am i speeding he doesn't know so he pulls over right and motorcycle cop gets off the bike walks up to the car and right away he's just like get out of the car and clark is totally confused He has no idea what's going on and he's like sorry officer was i speeding was i driving reckless um just let me know i'm really sorry and the officer's just like just get out of the car and clark gets out and he's still confused like what What did I do? What did I do? And the officer says something to the effect, like, if I could right now, I would just take the butt of my gun and just bop you in the head. Clark's still like, what? What? What's happening? And the police officer's like, all right, follow me. So they go back to the back of the car, and you see the back bumper with the leash. Oh, my God. (laughs) And Clark totally realizes what he did. And he's like, holy Shit. You can just see the look. He's like, he hates that dog. He certainly did not want that to happen to the dog.
1: Right. The the image is great because there is no dog. It's just No, leash. nothing. It's just the leash. It's empty. It's just just empty leash just hanging off the rear bumper. The
0: officer goes, do you know what the penalty is for animal cruelty here in the state? then you're like oh boy they're in trouble and clark's like no i don't know and then the officer's like well i don't know either but i'm sure it's really bad and you're like i'm oh sure it's pretty god. stiff yeah that's great he has no idea oh my god and then the officer's next line is something like he used to have a dog like that when he was a kid and then he says something to the effect of yeah that poor dog probably tried to keep up with you for a mile and the image goes right into your head that's the thing like i could literally see the dog trying to run after the car and it's brutal yeah it is but it's so funny at the same time it's horrible and it's yeah. funny and clark apologized like oh my god it, it was an accident he tries to explain his way luckily the cop believes him and just says just just get back in the car and get out of here so you know and now clark's like oh shit i gotta deal with aunt edna because if aunt edna finds out this trip is gonna get worse so he gets in the car and at this point rusty has figured out what has happened and edna starts yelling at clark about his speeding and he's a wild driver and rusty's gonna tell him oh no the car was tied to the back bumper and clark's like nope i was speeding i was speeding it was reckless driving (laughs) i deserve what i got and then the cop shows up with the leash and says i'll go back and clean the carcass here's the leash for you and drops in his lap i was actually heartbroken there as much as i couldn't stand edna i felt bad for her that she lost her dog i really did And you just see her eyes are starting to well and she's just, she's just fuming at that point. Just like, she's like, but yeah, God, that scene is so funny, but it's so bad at the same time.
1: Oh, it's horrible, but it is downright hilarious. You're absolutely right. And it's because of the great performances and some, some funny lines in between. And the cop is wonderful because he looks like such a hard ass. Yes. And he's got that square jaw and that serious, that face, that look like he's just going to beat the crap out of Clark and he, he has to hold himself back. But those lines, when they're looking down the road and he, like you said, you yeah. know, yeah, that poor little guy probably kept up with you for about a mile or so. And he's like trying to hold back the tears. And then Clark is trying to hold back the tears (laughs) and stepping out again, the research a little bit. Supposedly they, there are some real tears in that scene coming from those actors, but not because they felt bad, but because they're trying so hard not to laugh. Oh yeah. That's because of the lines, and they're just faking the tears, of course. But they, some of them, I guess, were real
0: because they're just – Yeah, like I think the running alongside the car was improvised. So Chevy did not see that one coming, and yeah, he was stifling a laugh there at that point. Yeah. That's got to be one of those – it's funny and sad at the same time. It really is. It It works yeah, on two yeah. levels.
1: Good call, man. It's a classic. Another iconic scene from this movie. Uh, and speaking of which, I'm going to go right in this leads right into one of my favorite moments, because then afterward they pull into a restaurant for lunch and it's a drive up fast food place, kind of like a, uh, a Sonic is out here where you have the waitresses or waiters will come out and deliver the foods to your car. And I love it because they pull up to this fast food joint. And of course, Aunt Edna is super pissed after the incident with Dinky and immediately yells out, is this your idea of a good restaurant, dog killer? <laughs> and of course, Clark has to eat it. Of course, then the waitress comes out with this tray full of wonderful looking fast food and these trays, they have like these hooks on the bottom that you hook it onto the window and this is just Clark's luck at this point. One thing going wrong after another and he's like, mmm, looking at the food and the Waitress balances the tray on the window. Clark helps her and it just shatters the window completely and falls on the ground everywhere. And he's like, waitress. I laugh out loud every time it happens. I know it's going to happen. I just think it's one of those psych gags that works for me when that stupid food tray smashes the window and falls all over the ground. There's food everywhere. It's just like, what else can go wrong in this day?
0: It's well, just- yeah. Cause what I- makes it funny is that she's going to put it on the window I mean, she's done it hundreds of times. She knows how to do it. And Clark's like, nope, I'll take care of it. Right, like he's got it, of Like course, nothing has know. gone right at this point. Let the girl do it. Let her do her right.
1: job. Everything he touches just turns to crap. But of course, he's got to do it. That's
0: great. Good call. Yeah, that's part of the humor right there. You're absolutely right. So it's a very quick laugh out loud uh, moment. I agree with that one. So I'm going to go into my final scene moment. Like I said, we could probably discuss the whole movie, but I was, I was trying to narrow it down. And this was, I don't know why this made me laugh out loud this time, was Clark's trek through the desert. I'm right there with you. I actually have this whole scene. Yeah.
1: From the the car accident through that trek. Absolutely. Go for it, man.
0: There was just a moment in the trek that just just made me laugh out loud. And I was like, why don't I not remember this? So... You know, there's the infamous scene where they launch the truckster through these road signs and it crashes and now they're stranded and Clark decides, Oh, there's gonna be a phone around here somewhere, and he runs off in the desert to go find help. And of course he thinks something's gonna be in the middle of the road, and he's all happy and jolly and shows him walking, shows him walking, shows him walking. And then there's this one scene where you see the sand dune and you see Clark staggering up over it, and you hear him just start saying, I'm dead i am finished. I'm I'm done. I'm going to die. I'm going to (laughs) die. And that just started making me laugh. And he starts stumbling down. Like he reaches the the apex and he starts coming down and he's kind of struggling down. And for some reason, he grabs his watch, takes it off and just throws it. Like, what is that going to do? It was just so, I I I don't know. It just, it made me laugh. And then it cuts to the next scene. And for some reason now he had, he was wearing like these jean shorts and he has them tied on his head. It's like right. a hat. I never noticed that before. Yeah. Wait, does he have his pants on his head? Yeah. It was just these little bits that were just literally in like a 30 second clip. I couldn't stop laughing because I was like, I don't I didn't remember any of this, but it was just so funny. Like I don't remember him saying that he was gonna die, why he threw the watch, and then all of a sudden he's wearing his pants on his head. Completely delirious, and it doesn't make any sense,
1: and it's it's amazing. He sells it. Yeah, he completely sells it because you just think he's losing his mind. But that moment when he takes off the watch, as if either it's too heavy to carry or it's just that hot out. Right, yeah. Like, like it could literally just be burning to his take wrist. everything off. Freaking brilliant. I'm glad you brought it up, man. I
0: forgot to check to see if he was wearing the watch later on in the movie. I should have done that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been a good call. I had this whole scene,
1: man. I mean, yeah, I wrote down, yeah, Clark gets lost in the desert, uh, meaning before he actually is walking around getting lost. He gets lost driving. He gets the whole family lost, and the family calls him out for it. And I love the moment when, I think it's Audrey who says, wouldn't there be some, like, signs, hazard yep. signs? I think I saw some, actually. And he's like, no, well, that would be obvious. There would be road close signs everywhere. And then he looks at it, like, this one. <laughs> and he crashes right through it. Truckster goes flying off the embankment in an, a, an iconic shot. That's a great stunt. The car smashes. The front grill is trashed. The flat tire's... Uh, all of it, the whole car is busted up. You have the kids in the front seat with yes. the parents. Everybody is almost you know, jam-packed now in the front seat. You hear Ellen say, I think I broke my nose. Russ says, I stabbed my brain. And then Audrey chimes in, I just got my period.
0: <laughs> that made me laugh out loud.
1: <laughs> and Russ is like, hey, dad, ah, it seems like you, you may have jumped the car about 50 yards. And Clark's like, it's nothing to be proud of, Rusty. And to himself, uh, 50 yards, yeah. <laughs> I love that. But I love this part because he takes Rusty aside for a sidebar. For a sidebar conversation, a man-to-man talk, telling Rusty he's got to leave for a bit to go find a gas station or a phone. They sit down on a rock, and Clark is having a serious conversation about how he appreciates the family time. And in the midst of it, he's like, just to be able to sp- spend this time with my son, you, Rusty, and my daughter, my daughter... Said, Audrey? Yes, yeah, Audrey. <laughs> he forgets his daughter's name. So during this like heart-to-heart conversation with his son, he takes out his glasses and he puts them on, and they're broken right in half. And it kills me every time because Chevy Chase is delivering this whole like monologue to his son with a straight face, and the glasses break in half. One side falls off, like hang- hanging from one ear, and then just falls off. And the other side then finally falls off. The glasses fall off his face in pieces while he's, it's just fricking hilarious. And then he decides this is a moment when he's going to share a beer with Rusty and Rusty pounds the whole beer while he's talking. So Clark doesn't get to really drink any of it. Just really funny. And then cutting to what you were talking about when he then goes off to search for the gas station and he's wandering around like an idiot being goofy, singing songs like he's just going off on this journey, this adventure, and he's going to be the hero. And you see two Native Americans on horses watching him from a distance. And one of them just goes, what an asshole. (laughs) And finally, Clark does get out of the desert and goes finds the gas station and he's all stiff and dirty from, you know, obviously his muscles are stiff from walking so far and the entire family has already gotten to the gas station. The Native Americans on the horses had actually found them and rescued them, brought them to the gas station. They're already there. So Clark's late to the party. And this is just one of my favorite because he's so dehydrated. He's got the scratchy voice. Yes, i love that. Hey, hey. They're all excited. They're like, you're alive, Dad. You're alive. And he just says, Russ, Russ, Audrey, have you grown? like he's been gone that long as if his kids are growing up now he's like hey kids are you thirsty <laughs> it's just amazing and we get a nice little cameo from john deal in this scene yes. too, which i love good old cruiser from stripes makes mm-hmm. sense he would be in this movie another little harold ramus connection yes. and of course we know john deal from miami vice That's right. but john deal plays one of the i guess you can say redneck mechanics in this scene
0: L- little shady
1: yeah yeah and of course uh they drive off in their truckster which has been repaired by these mechanics but it's not really repaired we got bald tires and they're wobbling all over the place and cars making a lot of noise but i just love this entire scene bill band from the with the, with the truckster crashing to him getting lost in the desert to showing up at the gas
0: station with the scratchy voice chevy chase genius genius it's very iconic because it's a huge part of the film and i mean just the jump itself yeah any commercial or trailer you would watch for this movie will show that jump, mm-hmm. and there is a a ton of hilarious moments that you uh pointed out. I knew you would kind of talk about the scene, and yeah, there's actually a good scene too where Edna is of course screaming and yelling about Clark, and Ellen finally puts him in her place. Thank you, yeah, absolutely, and that was kind of cool, then that was like one of those yeah. Take that, Edna. Yes. Uh, that's funny, too, because she has like a like a straw hat, and the whole front brim <laughs> is broke, and it's like under her chin, but the top of her hat's still in her head. Yeah, it was, that was kind of funny. Such a great scene. Anything else you have for favorite scenes or moments? I just have to point out the iconic
1: moment of the family running to Wally World with the Chariots of Fire theme playing. It is iconic, and it still cracks me up. I laughed out loud at this moment. Again, I know all these moments are coming, Bill Bant, and I laugh out loud every time. The slow-motion run with Clark running alongside his son, Russ. They've got these huge smiles on his on their faces. Clark pretends to fall behind and then catches up, and the music is timed to the run, so you hear the cymbals crashing in the music as Clark throws his arms in the air just triumphantly as they've arrived at the park, only to find out, of course... It's closed for two weeks. Oh yes, but that run in slow motion to the park with the Chariots of Fire theme playing in the background, I I would think about that all the time as a kid. And every time I heard that song, I would think of that scene, not the movie Chariots of Fire, but this scene from National Lampoon's Vacation.
0: (laughs) I've probably seen ten other movies with the Chariots of Fire theme before I finally saw Chariots of Fire. Yeah, I know
1: it was. It was such a huge soundtrack that theme, Vangelis, or Vangelis, however you'd like to pronounce that. I never get it right. Uh, him, his name. Yes, and he unfortunately he passed just recently. Oh wow! Some wonderful one of my favorite scores of all time, Blade Runner. Oh, of course. But uh, the Chariots of Fire theme was overplayed in the early '80s. No, it certainly was. Used the, run, the running joke that just kept on running. Hello, this is Jason, co host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month
0: while your subscription is active. Um, all right, so let's uh, move on to Swiss cheese and complaints apartments. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it doesn't fall under Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. And as always, because it is a comedy, there is a lot of suspension of disbelief. I don't know if there's so much Swiss cheese. I, I think I left most of my stuff to complaints, to be honest. I agree. I'm, I'm right there with you. Here's my first complaint. Outside of the scene being funny, and we both mentioned it was one of our favorite scenes, the opening scene with uh, at the car dealership. Right. Why was the car dealership crushing the trade in? Yeah. What money are they making off that trade in? They should have stripped the crap out of that car first, get anything of value of it. I mean, they literally crush it with the plates, the tires and all that stuff. That just made no sense. It's funny. The trade in, that means you're getting money for the car. Right. Why are you crushing it? That wagon was a piece of shit,
1: but granted, if you took a car to a junkyard, you might get a couple hundred bucks for it because they would use scrap metal. Right. Or something, but you're right. They just, they're trashing the entire thing. And no, that's not how it works. (laughs) What car
0: dealership would have a a trash compactor in the back of the The, lot?
1: The timing of it doesn't make any sense because it's got to be in a junkyard off location somewhere. So the time it would take to get the car to like a trash compactor on a junkyard lot and then get it back to them within this short scene, it makes absolutely no sense. It's wonderful. And that's exactly what I'm talking about because that's the that kind of alludes to some of my other complaints because I had forgotten that this movie was again a satire in some ways or a lot of ways and that it was that over the top that you just kind of had to go with it. It was just. Oh, yeah, exactly. Stupid funny. Uh, just for the sight gag. Right. And. It just for whatever reason, once you're in it and you, be, you just go along with it, it is hilarious. So that's kind of the same thing with the, the desert scene. It's like, who in their right mind would look at that expanse of desert and say, I'm just going to go walking looking for a gas station.
0: Oh yeah. I was the same way. You just wouldn't do it. You'd never do it. And he doesn't take any water with him.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. It's the dumbest thing ever. Nobody in their right mind would do no. it. And that's why the Native Americans say, what an asshole. <laughs> yeah, They're perfectly right in that statement. Well, this is this one I, I don't understand, but if I were married and I had a fight with my wife and I got caught with Christy Brinkley in a pool naked, yes. my wife would never, never, never forgive me as quickly as Ellen Griswold does forgive Clark in this movie. I don't get it. How does Ellen Griswold not lose her mind after busting Clark in the pool with Christy Brinkley? instead, she decides to basically like flip it and be like, "Hey, I do want to have fun. We're gonna go skinny dipping together me and you instead, so that's one thing where again, you just kind of have to go with it. I guess they didn't have time for them to get into a huge fight at that point right, but just a you know minor complaint, yeah,
0: I was giving kudos to. Hell in there. It's like, damn, that's uh, that's an impressive wife.
1: Yeah, because even though it's not like Clark was caught in the act of actually doing uh, some sort of intimate act with Christy Brinkley, aka Girl in the Ferrari, while you know skinny dipping in the pool, still. Clark was flirting with her for the last you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever it was within the movie's time. And Ellen was really, really cool about it for some reason. But even within this scene, while Clark and the girl in the Ferrari are getting into the pool, Bill Bant, what is it with actors and not knowing how to dive into water?
0: What is it? I don't know.
1: I might be mistaken, but I forgot to mention this about Friday the 13th as well. I think there might have been a really bad dive in that one, too. Oh, yeah. Off
0: the pier. That's funny, because I was watching that. I was like, oh, Jason's going to mention that. And then I just realized yeah. you never well, did. I don't
1: know if it was just an 80s thing. Got to teach your actors how to dive. If you're going to have them dive in into water,
0: well, what's going on? Maybe we should open up an actor diving school.
1: Now that I think of it, speaking of Harold Ramis, was it finally corrected? Did he pick up on this for uh, back to school? That's true. Anywho. What else you got, man?
0: Um, I just want to go back to the truck stop scene with Christy Brinkley because I kind of mentioned yeah, sure. like what, what was up with the dancing. Okay. So there's a song playing over the scene. Right. Is that the song they're literally listening to at that moment? And is that what they're dancing to? Or is she just bizarre behavior and just likes to think she's a supermodel all the time and, and do all those moves? I couldn't figure it out. It's like, are you? is this the song that's playing on your car and that's why you're doing that? I think that's what we're supposed to believe. It's a flaw in the sound design because
1: it sounds like it's part of the film's soundtrack right. and not coming from the Ferrari's car stereo. And that's what lends to the awkwardness of the scene because you're like, "What are they? Why are they dance? Why is she dancing like that? Can she hear the music? Are they just dancing to a song in their heads? Are they just mimicking one another and flirting?" I do believe it's supposed to, the song is supposed to be coming from the car stereo, from the Ferrari's car stereo. But the way the audio is in the movie, it doesn't sound like it's coming from a
0: car stereo. It just sounds like it's the movie sound. Yeah, I just found that weird. Oh, absolutely. She can't stop moving during that movie. Even when she's oh, driving the yeah, car, no. she's always like bopping around and playing with her hair. Oh, yeah, with her hair and with her face doing that. Ooh, ah, ooh, She can do whatever she wants. I was just pointing it out just for the record. All right. Hopefully my wife's missed that part of the podcast. Yeah, because she never listens to this podcast. No.
1: Except she does all the time. So, yeah, here's another thing. Hey, showing up at Wally World, the Wally World Park, and they're the only ones there. They don't know it's closed? I <laughs> mean It's just it's the entire parking lot is empty. When has that ever, ever happened where there's no cars in the parking lot? It's an enormous, enormous parking lot. So that's my first complaint. Now, again, you just have to go with it, right? It makes it, it is funny. There's a lot of things in this where it's just very obvious that something is wrong, but they just completely ignore it. I mean, it's the very first scene when the car is smashed at the car dealership and Clark just walks up to it like he can open the door. Same kind of thing. It's very obvious. So, but that's one of those things. It's like, come on. Then within that, as soon as they get out of the car, what the hell is Clark wearing? Because I was like, here we go. You know, holy shit, short shorts and loafers. That's what Clark Griswold is wearing. He's got like his oh, button-down yeah. shirt, short shorts, and nothing but loafers on his feet.
0: They, it doesn't look nice.
1: comfortable at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you're doing a park all day, man, you need the sneakers. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, some nice it, it's the style. most
1: unpractical or impractical. So anyway, listen, folks, listeners out there. Again, we get it. This is supposed to be ridiculous. See some of these scenes Again, it's the just-go-with-it factor, but sometimes it's so ridiculous. You're like, eh,
0: this
1: may be a little one step too far.
0: But I'll stay in the park with some of my complaints. Okay, so we find out the park's closed for two weeks for mm-hmm. repairs and maintenance. Yet, the only people you ever come across in the park is the two security guards. Where's All right. Where's the maintenance? If the park is closed because it's are supposed to be cleaning it, there should at least be other staff around. Absolutely. That's a great call for sure. And then we see him riding rides, uh, ride operators. I thought about that too. That's a good call. How? Yeah. I have a ride operator. Yeah. And then then I was even thinking about this. Okay. So we know the parks closed for two weeks. It made this seem like the two weeks started that day. Maybe the parks open in tomorrow. Maybe it's the end of the two weeks. Wow. Yeah.
1: You're right. You're right.
0: (laughs) It's true. You might luck out. Yeah. It was just like, Hey, come back tomorrow. We'll be open tomorrow. Right.
1: Instead of immediately just reacting and rushing to the local
0: sporting goods store. Right, which is nowhere close to where he actually goes if you know California and right. where right. fictional Wally World is. That, that cracked me up. I was like, um, yeah, that story you went to get the gun, that's uh, 75 minutes away.
1: It's so funny because that was in the back of my mind as well, Bill Bant, where I was thinking – Oh, my God. They just had to run all the way from their car, all the way across the parking lot to get to Wally World, only to find out it's closed for two weeks. Then Clark decides, no way, I'm taking this matter into my own hands, and he drags them all the way back across the parking lot to get into their truckster to drive all the way to a sporting goods store just to buy a BB gun to drive all the way back to Wally World. And I don't know if they showed it or not. Did they park then that time? Do they park in the front? Oh, yeah. We don't even right, know where they front? parked. Yeah.
0: You would or hope so. they park
1: again a mile away? <laughs> yeah. But because we know what LA is like and where this park is as well, out in the middle of uh, it's a little bit. Distant. Yeah. He would have been back tomorrow. Yeah. With traffic at that time. And uh, we'll probably get to a bit of this in our research or fun facts and trivia. But yeah, the park is actually Six Flags Magic Mountain for those of you that are local here in la but
0: uh, for those of you that aren't that's what serves as wally world in this fiction the bb gun was bought all the way in santa monica so right they're not close (laughs) at all they're not close at all (laughs) right just fyi i'm sure there's like six thousand other places he could have went to before he got to santa monica all right all right so my last complaint so we find out in the trip like i said they pick up Aunt Edna from Cousin Eddie's, they gotta take her to Phoenix. In the middle of the trip, she passes away. Right. And there's this whole fight about what they should do with Aunt Edna, and Clark doesn't want to take her to the morgue or the hospital or wherever because he knows it's gonna ruin the trip. There had to be a way. I mean, call the local police, the police take her, and then they would contact her son, and then you go from there. I don't know, I just thought Great it was question. weird. I hope I'm never in that situation. Yeah, I know. I was kind of thinking, I'm like, what the hell do? You, what the hell would you what really do? What do you do?
1: And I'm sure it's happened. Yeah. to somebody, unfortunately. Yeah, because there's no
0: point in taking her to the hospital. I mean, she's dead. We know that. But I was like, call the police. Maybe take a little bit of.
1: Doesn't that something sort of similar happen in Little Miss Sunshine with Alan Arkin's character when he passes? They're Definitely. trying to get. Some, they have to do something with his body. Anyway, I don't want to get off on a tangent there. But right, yeah. Regardless, it's a great question. You know, what do you do? It's because then you call the cops and what did, then they say, what would they say? Oh, yeah, we'll take the body off of your hands. Or do they just go, well, it's your relation. It's your family. You have to deal with right,
0: it. Right. They're not going to make you drive it to Phoenix. But yeah.
1: I mean, true, true. I don't know. I don't know if they would be sympathetic. Would the cops or fire department or some I don't know who you, who do you call? Yeah. Corners? Yeah, you would think I so. Don't know. They would take it there,
0: whatever. Yeah, they
1: would take him to the, yeah, right? I don't know. I feel like I'm being stupid about this, but it's just one of the it's just you never think about that. Yeah. No. It's a good question, Bill. Good question, but you would think yes, yeah, so there'd be some other
0: course of action. But that is obviously. a funny shot when they literally have her tied to the oh my god. roof of the truckster. Yeah, cuz she's sitting up, right? And like <laughs> yep. In the pouring rain with her purse in her lap covered in a blanket. It's a pretty good visual. See, it's just so funny because we can
1: imagine as filmmakers, right, when you're going, we under, you know, Harold Ramis and crew going, we know this is over the top. We're going beyond. And they're just continually going, well, what would make this look funnier? Does Mm -hmm. it make sense? Who gives a damn? Put the purse in her lap. Have her sitting up, whatever it is, just to make it funnier. And it's smart. It's hilarious. Even as dumb as it may seem at first, it totally comes off hilarious.
0: Yeah. Genius. So lesson learned. Never go anywhere with the Griswolds. You're not going to make it.
1: Okay. All right. Well, then uh, we can uh, just keep this train rolling.
0: Keep the truckster moving. All right. So it's yeah, so time for... The... It's that actor. In this segment, right. we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films. An actor making their... Big screen debut or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's Hey, it's That Actor. Yeah. Jason, who do you got for Hey, it's That Actor? I chose Brian Doyle Murray. Alright, yeah, there you go. Did you choose him? No, I did not. Alright, good. We do not have
1: the same Hey, it's that actor. I'll
0: be honest, I knew we weren't we weren't gonna match on this one. I was pretty confident. Okay.
1: Brian Doyle Murray plays Camp Comfort Clerk. The clerk at Camp Comfort. In South Fork, Colorado, when they go to the, basically like the little cabins that are just tents out in the the mountainous region of Colorado. And he just has a small part and he's eating watermelon. It's not necessarily laugh out loud, hilarious or anything, but he has Clark fill out a form and Clark's like, why am I filling this out? And he just says for, so we can send out mailers, even though it's like this just really remote facility in the, the mountains. And that's it. Just, he's just the clerk,
0: but he has that face. He's spitting fictional watermelon seeds Water into his napkin.
1: Yeah. It is kind of, he is kind of gross. Yeah. But he's got that face and you're like, Oh, it's that guy, right? It's that. Actor. Oh yeah. I've seen him in a million things. So Brian Doyle Murray, we can talk about some of his career, his filmography. Obviously he was in this film, but uh, in 1980, he was in Caddyshack. We're already seeing connection here with these guys. He played the character of Lou Loomis in Caddyshack. However, he also had various roles on Saturday Night Live from 78 to 82. And then he was the Reverend in 16 Candles. He was in Legal Eagles. He was in Club Paradise. He was in Scrooged in 1988. He's a great character actor. Uh, He was in Ghostbusters 2 in 89. And then he was in Christmas Vacation where he plays Frank Shirley. I believe he's like the jerk boss. So he comes back in another Vacation movie, plays a different role. And then he also, and this is, I definitely see him in this role as Jack Ruby in 1991's JFK, Oliver Stone's JFK. He plays Jack Ruby. So wonderful character actor in so many things. Maybe even more importantly, Brian Doyle Murphy is a wonderful writer. And he actually wrote for the Chevy Chase show in 77. And then he was a writer on like 20 episodes of SCTV. He was a writer on Caddyshack. He wrote a TV special for Rodney Dangerfield. Then goes on, and I said he played various roles on Saturday Night Live. I didn't know this, Bill Bann, Brian Doyle Murray was a writer for 76 episodes of Saturday Night Live from 78 to 82 and wrote three more uh, episodes from 78 to 81. He wrote the video of The Best of John Belushi. He did the screenplay for Club Paradise in 86. And then he went on to do the video, uh, uh, excuse me, write the video for uh, The Best of Dan Aykroyd. This guy
0: did it all. Brian Doyle Murray, writer and
1: actor extraordinaire. And obviously uh, worked closely with Harold Reynas.
0: Good call. Yeah, I kind of forgot he was in uh, in the movie and had that brief scene. And then I just, I realized I never put it together that, yeah, that's him in Christmas Vacation. I feel kind of dumb right now, but hey, learn something new in your own podcast. Hey, learn something new. So for my Hey It's That Actor, um, my actor is Frank McRae, who was Grover, the security guard at Wally World. So he was the other security guard. He's the African-American security sure. guard. Yeah, totally recognizable. So he had a bunch of small roles in Sylvester Stallone movies, which included Fist, Paradise Alley, Rocky Two, and Lockup. And I forgot he was in Rocky 2, and then I ended up watching Rocky 2 just so I could see his role. And he's in it for one seat. No, two seats. That's it. He works at the uh, meat plant and hires Rocky when uh, he's having some financial trouble and then ends up having to fire him. But, yeah, just because of that, I ended up watching the whole movie. But it's a movie I don't mind watching. Right. That's great. Um, he played the teacher, Mr. Uh, Teasdale, who is the first person we see killed during the invasion during Red Dawn. So he's the one that was teaching the class, and then he goes outside whenever there's pattern shooting. Yeah, that was him.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: He had other notable roles in used cars, and batteries not included, but my favorite role- okay. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's okay. But this is why I picked Frank, because one of my favorite roles of Frank McRae was in a movie we will hopefully be covering later this year, License to Kill, James Bond movie. He played Sharky. Okay. God, I haven't seen that in forever. Uh, Frank Cray, unfortunately, uh, passed away in 2021 from a heart attack at the age of 80. All right. All right. Definitely yeah. a character actor you've seen in a ton of movies. Yeah. Look forward to seeing sure. him again when we cover uh, License to Kill later this year. All right. So that takes us to facts and trivia. We might have a little bit of facts and trivia about Vacation. What do we have to share with our audience? Well, I wanted to discuss just what is National Lampoon's, or I should say cool. National
1: Lampoon. Just real quick, I'm going to read this off. This is from, uh, I believe I got this from Wikipedia. But it's just one of those things, because growing up, we're familiar with the National Lampoon uh, moniker, the title, as it is associated with many comedies and film. But what is it? I just, as a kid, didn't give a damn, didn't care, didn't ask. Now I do. So here we go. National Lampoon was started by Harvard graduates and... Harvard Lampoon alumni, Doug Kenny, Henry Beard, and Robert Hoffman in 1969. That's when they first licensed the Lampoon name for a monthly national publication. So National Lampoon was an American humor magazine that ran from 1970 to 1998. So that's the gist of it. It was an American humor magazine. From 1970 to 1998, the magazine started out as a spin-off from the Harvard Lampoon. National Lampoon Magazine reached its height of popularity and critical acclaim during the 1970s when it had a far-reaching effect on American humor and comedy. The magazine spawned films, radio, and live theater, various sound recordings and print products, including books. Many members of the creative staff from the magazine subsequently went on to contribute creatively to successful media of all types. So during the 70s and early 80s, a few films were made as spinoffs, from the original National Lampoon magazine using its creative staff, as I just mentioned, the first theatrical release and by far the most successful at that time, at least, was National Lampoon's Animal House. Oh, yeah. from 1978.
0: There you go. Just a little, little history. To expand on that, so John Hughes, who, of course, wrote the screenplay from National Lampoon's Vacation, this is actually based off a story that was published in National Lampoon called Vacation 58. It was supposedly based on a true life tale of John Hughes and his family trying to go to Disney World.
1: Right. Very cool. I love that history stuff, man. These guys go all the way back. So we're going to be jumping around here as far as chronologically as the events that happen in the film. So I'm just going to go straight to the Wally World section. All the cast members had terrible experiences when it came to filming the scenes inside Wally World where they rode all of the roller coasters and other rides. I guess uh, you might know this. I think you listened to the commentary, but uh, Chevy Chase mentions that many of the rides made him and the other cast members vomit, uh, especially since they had to ride the ride several times for each take. Dana Barron had to take motion sickness pills.
0: Yeah, supposed to see passed out.
1: Oh God. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall mentions that in the shots on the roller coaster where he looks scared, he wasn't acting. His fear in those shots was genuine. There you go getting a little sick
0: of the rides. All right. So picking back on the Wally world scenes. So if you pay attention to the scenes, Anthony Michael Hall is a little bit taller all of a sudden than uh, Beverly D'Angelo. Right. Uh, as compared to previous scenes on the trip. That was because um, Hall grew three inches after principal photography finished the ending, which was originally supposed to be them going to Roy Wally's house and kind of kidnapping him kind of what you see in christmas vacation that didn't work with test audiences so they came up with a new scene where they go into the, to wally world and ride the rides um so yeah anthony michael hall grew a little bit and if you look yeah you'll see he's a lot bigger than Beverly d'angelo then and then that's why they had to make i think originally in the script too audrey was supposed to be the older of the two but because correct. of the height correct they switched that rusty was now the older of the two kids Good stuff, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Staying right there in Wally World, the theme park that served as Wally World, I mentioned this earlier, was Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia, California. Uh, the roller coaster referred by to uh, by Clark as the Whippersnapper is actually called the Revolution, and was the first roller coaster to have a three hundred sixty degree vertical loop. See, this is interesting because we actually see that like the first roller coaster they go on, I think, is the Screaming
0: Mimi. Correct.
1: And if that's like the giant wooden roller coaster. Yes. Which it was originally called Colossus. Correct. And then the last time I went, they had changed the name of it to Twisted Colossus. And I rode that with my friends and it was awesome. I love that ride. And you were talking about ride operators or lack thereof in this movie. (laughs) I was a ride operator at Six Flags Great America in Gurney, Illinois. And we also had a giant wooden roller coaster, which was the same concept, very similar in design, but that was called
0: the American Eagle. So Daisy Mabel, Cousin Eddie's tongueless daughter, was played by director Hal Ramus's daughter, Violet. Little cameo. Nice. Mm. Getting the fam in there. Yeah, don't have to worry about her doing lines, so you don't have to pay her, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, so Imogene Coca, who
1: played Aunt Edna, Supposedly suffered what is believed to have been a stroke during production. Yeah, Sam said they filmed it. Yeah, he said they filmed a scene that morning, and by the afternoon, she couldn't remember anything they did. After getting out of the hospital, she and her husband worked together to relearn her lines and get her back on set to finish the movie. Yeah, this
0: is uh, interesting about her too. when she was first offered the role, she didn't want to do it because she not used to playing someone that mean. But they really wanted her, and after she would do her scenes, she would apologize. Or ask, was I too mean to you?
1: Uh, this is going to be my last little tidbit, Bill Bant. There was a Wally World water park in London, Ontario, Canada. Oh, didn't know that. Which opened several years after the movie was released. John Candy was invited to the opening of the park, but the park owners couldn't afford his appearance
0: fee. All right, so my last fact, uh, got to talk about the jump. So the scene where we see the fa- the family truckster uh, take the big jump is the stuntman, Dick Zeiger. Yeah. And there was actually bets that he wasn't going to be able to jump it more than 50 feet. And the crew was actually betting and they were actually drawing lines where the car was supposed to land to see where it would go. He ended up jumping it 176 feet.
1: Oh my so, God.
0: So he did pretty well. That's
1: and awesome. Supposedly it supposedly
0: was a record at one point. No kidding. Yeah. But of course they didn't Grace. realize that the car was going to be as damaged as it was. So supposedly there was five, there was five trucksters that they had. They have the hero truckster, which is your main one that you would see for all the right. shots when they're driving, and then a couple of the stunt trucksters. But yeah, after the damage of that, of course, they had to get that to match all the rest of the cars, and they were like, whoa, okay, we got to do a little more damage to the rest of these than we thought. That's I think a- they were saying one of them still exists, but they all joke, like the production's like, yeah, but that's not a car I want to have. Yeah, car's famous. But yeah, the way they joked about it, they were like, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be the owner of it, though. But you got—I
1: mean, that would—I guess I should have put that in my questions. But that's up there in the top five, top ten movie vehicles of all time. It could be, probably top ten. Yeah. I mean, you got the DeLorean, you got the Batmobile, the Ecto One, uh, any James, yeah, Ecto One, James Bond's Aston Martins.
0: Yeah, it'd be it'd be like a nine yeah. ten. All right, so moving on to box office. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation was released on July 29th, nineteen eighty three, in one thousand one hundred and seventy five theaters. So today, if you're listening to the podcast, the day we release it, it's the 39th anniversary of Vacation. Yay! Happy anniversary. <laughs> Listen after that, you blew it. So on an estimated budget of $15 million, it grossed $61.4 million domestically. It debuted number one at the box office and held the top spot for a total of three weeks before it was knocked off by Easy Money, starring Chevy Chase's co-star and Caddyshack, Ronnie Dagefield. Vacation would stay in the top ten for an additional nine weeks, making it the 11th highest grossing movie domestically in the United States. So then moving on to reviews, when growing up in the 80s, we would watch sneak previews with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear the reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of Vacation was split. Gene found the movie funny throughout and thought Chevy Chase finally found a movie vehicle that suited his talents. Roger agreed that the first half of the movie was funny, but thought the second half was too bogged down by trying to resolve its plot. National Lampoon's Vacation has a Tomato Meter score of 93% on Rotten Tomatoes and an IMDb score of 73 Nice. So that leads us to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about vacation? You know what, Bill Bant? It just it
1: made me a little sentimental, man. The whole Wally World uh, portion of the film because it makes me miss the days of going to Six Flags Great America. It makes me miss the days when I worked a couple of seasons at Six Flags Great America. I remember when I was super young, it was actually called Marriott's Great America. And this is in Gurnee, Illinois. So different theme park, but same style as Six Flags Magic Mountain out here in L.A. So, yeah, man, I was a ride operator. There was just a couple of great, great summers. I That was my favorite job as ride operator. Shout out to Chris Valenziano, who also worked the same rides with me. And you know, in this film, we saw, obviously, I mentioned Twisted Colossus, which is here at Magic Mountain. We had the American Eagle, which is our version of it at Great America. In this film, you see the ride that they're on that rocks back and forth and looks like a giant pirate ship. Oh, yeah, love I don't those, know if you call those that you recall that. Yeah, right. And then eventually it goes so high it like will flip over. And it's just scary because you're hanging kind of free fall uh, upside down on those rides that just literally rock back and forth and swing so high that you're just at a standstill upside down. Well, our version of that was called the Power Dive, which was originally designed as the space shuttle. But then there was the, as far as I can recall, this is what happened, was the Challenger tragedy occurred. And they had redesigned and repainted that ride as a, like a fighter jet kind of also due to the popularity of Top Gun. I think that may Mm -hmm. have had some kind of association, possibly. But uh, anyway, I was one of the ride operators of that ride that rocked back and forth. And so I got to do the announcement. It was, hey, welcome to the Power Dive. Please move all the way across your road to the furthest available seat. Place your head against the headrest and your feet flat on the floor. Hey, welcome back. How was your flight on the Power Dive? And so I I just love doing that whole thing, doing the voice, and especially the button on it, which was enjoy the rest of your day at six flags, a great America. And that was back in the day when you had actual writer operators that could do speak into the mic and press all the buttons. And now if you go, you'll see maybe a kid press a button or something, but everything's automated, including the voice. Oh yeah. But we actually got to do the, we have to say the lines, the, the spiel, as it was called. I know I went off on a little tangent there, but those are some additional thoughts. Nice. uh yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of questions, but uh, did you have any additional thoughts?
0: Yeah, I, I did have an additional thought. We were talking about how much right. we loved Eugene Levy in the movie. So I thought this would be a great post credit scene. Like if we had found out that in the opening scene, because Clark didn't have the uh, station wagon that he wanted, if they had worked out a deal with Ed, like, you know what? Hey, why don't you take this? For a test spin, you're going to love it, and you're not even going to want to bring it back. But we'll let you use the car until your station wagon comes in. And then the last scene of the movie would be the truckster coming back into the lot totally destroyed. And Ed just being like, (laughs) what the hell? And you know, maybe Clark like, yeah, it's my regular car here yet. Just because I wanted to see Eugene Levy again, and I thought it would have been funny just to see what the truckster looks like when it was all said and done. I think that's a wonderful idea. I think that's really funny. Thank you. I was smart. Yeah, because the car they
1: traded in got all smashed and then they bring the truckster back and it's all smashed. I forgot. I get their, their happy ending by getting the Aquatic Blue, or sorry, Antarctic Blue sportswear. Yes. Great stuff. And thanks for mentioning the fact that Eugene Levy's character's name was Ed. I forgot that I to mention that while I was going. Well, yeah,
0: because it seat. doesn't say that the credits. Clark says it to him a couple of times. And that's the only reason you pick it up, but it's not in the credits. It just says car salesman. All right. So you have some questions. I have some questions. We can go back and forth on our questions.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So there's the whole scene that occurs at cousin Eddie's, which is kind of gross for the most part, oh, yeah. uh, but funny. Uh, shout out to Randy Quaid. And then you get cousins, Vicky and cousins, Dale, they are cousin, Vicky and Dale. And they're the young ones that are around the same age as Audrey and Russ. So they're all hanging out. I just was going mentioning that because I wanted to ask you, Bill, when you were a young teen coming into your own, did you ever bop your baloney? I was just making fun of the expression bop your baloney. I just thought, hadn't heard that one. No, I had not either. Thought it was gross and funny. I, here's a real quick question for you, Bill Bannon. Okay. Can you describe to me exactly what Clark Griswold does for a living? I
0: think he works for a company that makes food additives.
1: Yeah, they allude to it a couple. They mentioned food additives a couple of times, but it's just kind of strange. We don't really need to know, but yes, you're correct. Well done. According to National Lampoon's Vacation Wiki, Clark Wilhelm Sparky Griswold Jr. is a professional in the prepared food industry
0: and is an expert
1: in the field of additives and preservatives.
0: All right, so here's my question. So if they had to go back and remake all four of these movies again, Meaning that we, we had never seen them before. So this is, it would be all new to us. Okay. Uh huh. And they could use, so just one Audrey would be in all four. One Rusty would be in all four. Who would you take as your Audrey and Rusty? So I'll give you the, the actors in case you forgot.
1: I already have my choices, but you can't please do, do it for the audience though. Okay.
0: So of course we have, uh, Dana Baron here in vacation, European vacation. It's, uh, Dana Hill. Christmas Vacation, it's Juliette Lewis. And then Vegas Vacation, it's Maricel Nichols. For Rusty, of course, we know for this one, it's Anthony Michael Hall. A European Vacation is uh, Jason Lively. For Christmas Vacation, it's Johnny Galicki. And for Vegas Vacation, it's Ethan Embry. So wh- who's your – so they're going to be in all four movies. We've never seen them before. Right. Which? Who's your Rusty? Who's your Audrey? That's a. I love this question, Bill Bant, uh, and it's tougher than I thought it would be
1: after you listed all of them, but I am going with – I'm going to stick with Anthony Michael
0: Hall for Rusty and Juliette Lewis for Audrey. Okay. Wow. Okay, we're different. I think you could tell from the beginning. I want Dana Barron Yeah, Audrey yeah, throughout. she's great. Absolutely. And my Rusty's actually going to be – I'm going with Ethan Embry. That was – that's a, my close second. Because I I actually am an Ethan Embry Mm -hmm.
1: fan. Here's a little aim drop, Ethan Embry. I played pool with him once. Oh, did you really? a bar. Yeah, cool dude. And I'm also a big fan of the total homage to the 80s. Empire Records?
0: No. Can't um, Hardly Wait?
1: Can't Hardly Wait. Big fan of Can't Hardly Wait. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, my. And Ethan Embry. So you choose Ethan Embry and Dana Barron. Yeah. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Good choices. I like that question. More questions? Absolutely. How many times does the luggage go flying off the roof of the car in this oh, movie?
0: Yeah. You know what? That should have been in my complaints. Why would you <laughs> put your credit cards like in the top of your car? Oh yeah. That, that made no know. sense to me. I was like, what are you doing? Three times at least? Five okay. times. Oh, okay. Five. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, okay. So, the, so the opening, uh, when they're leaving the house, out of right. the garage. Okay. Of course, when they jump the truckster in the desert. Right. And uh, they lose a little bit of the luggage when he hits that bump. And that's – I think they only lose like two pieces. Does that one count?
1: Yes, absolutely because that's where she – when she loses the credit right. cards.
0: Uh, what are the other two?
1: I know one of them is when he falls asleep at the wheel and swerves oh, out, of the right. person, yes. of out the road. Oh, right. Yes. This falls out there. Hotel. Yes. So that's four. Okay. And then the fifth is when they discover Aunt Edna is dead. Right. And they go and down the kind of the ravine. The yes. Okay. Slams on the brakes. Five times. And if you want to see them all, you can find them back to back to back on YouTube. Look up Lampoon's Vacation Bagfall Compilation. I'll put
0: that in the show notes. Why not? <laughs> there you go.
1: Lampoon's Vacation Bagfall Compilation. I, I couldn't believe it. I looked it up. I'm like, I'm sure they haven't. Sure enough. there's a Oh, video. yeah. Why
0: not? All right, quick question for you. Do you ever remember staying at a hotel, motel, with a vibrating bed? Oh, don't recall.
1: I don't think so. Yeah, I I don't think think so either. I almost put that in one of my favorite scenes slash moments. Because I just love the line when Clark says to Russ afterwards. Because they have to move to the floor because the bed gets out of control. And he says to Russ, Rusty, the bed was very soft me the bed was too soft that's why they had to move to the floor because they're trying to cover up the fact that he was about
0: to have sex with his wife on the floor and the kids well just just the fact that rusty just walks in and figures out what to do right away pulls the plug and like okay yeah you can have (laughs) your bed back i just love that line. rusty the bed was very soft
1: yeah was that your question then because yeah i don't uh i don't think i've ever been in a room yeah i always wanted to though oh yeah I always wanted to find a hotel room with one of those damn vibrating beds just to put the quarters in the machine. Here's a question: Do you think Ryan Reynolds takes a little bit from Chevy Chase out of the Chevy Chase playbook? I was seeing it upon this rewatch. I was like, I could see with that sarcastic, quick-witted delivery. You know, think about it. If you see see it again, or like even like Fletcher, like he just kind of has it. It's not like a carbon copy by any. Means. I think I would it's see just, it more in a little bit. Fletch
0: than I would in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Reynolds at some point said, yeah, Chevy Chase was somewhat of an influence on his comedic stylings. Yeah. I just picked up on that. Oh, I just thought this was funny. Did the Farrelly brothers steal the Mockingbird song from this for Dumb and Dumber? No, it's possible. Because that's in the beginning. When they, when they get on their road trip in the very beginning of this movie, they're singing Mockingbird and... That's a big deal in the Fairly Brothers comedy, Dumb and Dumber, as well when they're on their. Yeah, road
0: that trips. was interesting too because I was watching the movie. And I was like, "Oh, Beverly D'Angelo has a very good voice," and then I found she out. she does. Yeah, she used to perform Hair, so yeah, she was a stinger. So I was like, oh, "Okay, that, that makes I'm sense." Not now. surprised. Not surprised. Yeah, she has a pretty good voice. Good singer there. All right. All right ours, do my... you have any more questions? Yeah. Yeah. Go for last it. Last question. Simple question. Do you have a favorite road trip?
1: That's, I mean, that's an appropriate question, and I should have thought of that. A favorite road trip? Wow. You know, well, now just off the top of my head, man, speaking of theme parks, we went on a little road trip, you, myself, and our mutual friend Marwan, you know, from the University of Miami. That was a good trip, man. Orlando Walt Disney World. That was a great trip. So that's, you know, something that comes up off the top of my head. But as far as, like, family vacation road trips, man, took some great ones with my grandparents in their Winnebago. But my memory is failing me right now. I've taken some good solo road trips. I can't think of How about you, Bill? While I'm well, drinking? I have to
0: say, the Orlando trip was definitely my best favorite Orlando trip of all time. Nothing has ever come close to topping that, and I've gone to Orlando plenty of times uh, to go to the amusement parks. But for road trip, yeah, I think it was when my – girlfriend and now my wife at the time when we came out here to california and we we're coming from florida to here and it took us like a week and it was great because i literally knew people the whole way so i think we left near the end of august up until labor day and it was great because we would just drive during the day we never had to do any night driving because we were always at our next stop of the next time so we went from fort lauderdale to gainesville stayed the night gainesville then next night we did birmingham alabama Went from Birmingham, Alabama to Dallas. Stayed in Dallas for two days with a friend. Then went from Dallas to Albuquerque, New Mexico, which stayed with my cousin for two days. Then went to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where a friend that I knew from the Arizona Cardinals stayed with him. And then from there to here. Outstanding. That's great.
1: Yeah, I'll just have to stick with our trip to Orlando because I can't think of anything else right now. I think that's an Um, excellent choice, though. I am glad that you did bring up your wife because that – leads right into my final question for you oh, Bam. okay ellen griswold has the nickname sparky for clark does hillary your wife have a nickname for you and what is No, it? she doesn't no? no no little cutesy nicknames come on you call what's your nickname for her do you call you call her hills yeah right? i just go hills
0: because bill is technically my nickname so hmm i might uh, get in trouble because of I can't. I'm blanking right ask, now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You Band can offline about this. Yeah, one. go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, it's because I, I love. I come up with nicknames all the time. I love nicknames. I think I had yeah, like 30 nicknames for my mm-hmm. ex girlfriend. It's funny. I'm nicknames
0: for might her. be pain in the ass.
1: I don't know. <laughs> That's Hillary's nickname for yeah. you. It's pain in my ass. Um, but that's it for me for questions, man. Did you have no, any? No, that's it.
0: So, uh, yeah, let's move on to our rating. Let's uh, rate vacation. So on a scale of one to five trucksters, and you can use a half truckster if you want to, uh, what do you give National Lampoons vacation? I am giving this four out of five trucksters. Love this movie, man.
1: It's a national treasure. Speaking of National Lampoons. What about you? Yeah, Joe? I'm in
0: agreement. I went with four trucksters myself. Yeah, most of the movie is funny. It is eighties. So there is some stuff in there that doesn't hold like it used to, but, um, true, true. I and mean, we kind of skipped over a little bit, but, um, if you haven't seen it in a while, watch it again. It's still funny. Yeah. Four trucksters for me. Absolutely. It's all about the relatable family road trip. So. Chevy Chase. Okay, so I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take the time to subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. We would really appreciate the support. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta, at All80smoviespodcast, or tweet us at PodcastAll80s. Next week, we'll be discussing To Live and Die in L.A., starring... William Peterson, Willem DeFoe, and Dipper Fjord. Until then, have a totally great week,
1: everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night. Bant, let's just take a moment. Oh God, ease our suffering in this, our moment of great despair. Yea, admit this kind and decent woman into thy arms of thine heavenly area up there. And Moab, he lay us upon the band of the Canaanites. And yea, though the Hindus speak of karma, I implore you, give her a break.